Hello, and welcome once again to the Oklahoma Atheist Godcast, the best goddamned podcast in all of Oklahoma County, so far as we know. Today on the show, we're, we're going to be talking with DJ Grothy. He's a writer and public speaker who is currently the president of the James Randi Educational Foundation, formerly the vice president and director of outreach programs for the Center for Inquiry, and the host of a wonderful uh, interview style podcast called For Good Reason, former host of Point of Inquiry, you've probably heard of it, great show. DJ is, I would say, one of the foremost authorities on uh, issues in the field of, of secularism, skepticism, critical thinking, science, that whole rationalist basket. And we're going to be talking with him a bit tonight about how all that, uh, how all that interacts. Chaz, what, what are we going to lead off with? Well, I want to talk about... Um... I, I saw on Wikipedia uh, that you grew up in uh, Missouri, right? I sure did, yeah. Love Missouri. I uh, I miss all my friends back there. How long were you, uh, when did you make your exodus from uh, Missouri? So I went to Bible college when I was 20, taking a couple years off between high school and college to do magic professionally. I did it for a number of years, actually, and uh, then went to Texas for undergrad for Bible college and then back to St. Louis for graduate school. And so I pretty much grew up in the St. Louis area. I can see how Bible college and magic go right together because, I mean, that, that was Jesus' profession, wasn't it? There's that great uh, book, Jesus the Magician. High, high reading, uh, you know, t- suggestions, but not that, uh, not that it's consensus scholarship these days. It's still a good read. You're not going to believe this, but no hyperbole, no exaggeration. When I got to college, it was called Ambassador College. One of my dorm mates, somehow more devout than I was. This was the college of, uh, of what sociologists of religion would consider a cult. It was uh, founded by a uh, well-meaning, true, end-time apostle of God named Robert W. Armstrong. And uh, um, one of my dorm mates was more devout than me, and he honestly believed that my magic was a sort of gateway into the occult and wrote a letter to the administration so I got in trouble for doing magic tricks. Only at a college like that would you get in trouble for doing magic tricks. Were you doing the old water to wine bit? Because they hate it when you do that. <laughs> yeah, well, I wasn't even that good. I would merely, you know, uh, find someone's chosen card or stop a watch ticking or read someone's mind. Uh, I didn't do the stuff you could found religions out of. Yeah, as long as you don't do the old uh, multiplicity of bread and loaves stuff, they <laughs> really get upset about that. Right, right. That's funny. Uh, you know what, though? He was right. You know, this did lead you uh, to skepticism in a way, right? Well, you know, early on, I considered myself a skeptic, but not a skeptic of religion necessarily. So right. as a teenager, I was uh, well acquainted with this character named James Randi. We'll talk about the foundation in a minute because that's my uh, – not only my bread and butter, but my, my passion. It's what I eat, sleep, and breathe. And, and – and uh, Andy, I knew him as a magician. He was all over the magic magazines, and I knew him sort of in the tradition of the paranormal debunker from Houdini to, to a couple other magicians. Then Randy's in that line. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It, it never occurred to me as a young teenager that the same sort of critical thinking you might apply to claims about ghosts or psychics, which magicians were all over, 
could equally be applied to these sorts of testable claims you get in religion all the time. Um, like faith, faith healing and that sort of thing. The science. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so early on, I, I loved, even as a devout religious teen, that Randy stuck it to the fraud religionists. Uh, I, I just didn't consistently apply that uh, sort of philosophical skepticism uh, around uh, all those sorts of claims, right? So it was easy for me to say, those psychic charlatans are just doing magic tricks and lying about it. But when you go to church, and it's a sincere church where there's not a charlatan up, up uh, at the podium, at the dais or the lectern, whatever, uh, there's not the, it's, even if it's deception, it's more like self-deception. Mm -hmm. It's not someone pulling the wool over your eyes. It's not someone doing a magic trick that a background in magic could help debunk. You mentioned uh, Herbert Armstrong uh, founding this this cult-like church. Uh, it's my understanding that the Worldwide Church of God eventually sort of mainstreamed itself and became much more uh, Trinitarian, evangelical uh, sort of uh, place to be. But the right. Philadelphia Church of God has uh, split off and gone hardline Armstrong, and they are based here in Edmond, Oklahoma, incidentally. Wow. Well, yes, look at your... Look at your religious literacy, gold star for that. So Herbert W. Armstrong was a sort of American religious genius. He and his fellows created this inimitably American religion that had the best components of Seventh-day Adventist. Uh, you know, they believed in a, a soon coming return of Jesus. They worshipped on Saturday of Messianic Jews, so they kept the holy days, the high holy days that the Jews celebrate, but just sort of Christianizing them. Uh, Christian science didn't believe in medical doctors. Uh, Jehovah's Witness didn't celebrate the holidays. Uh, Mormonism, they had the Christology of Mormonism, where they believed that, that Armstrong taught that one day we would become gods like God is God. So Mormons have this line, what God was, man now is, what God is, man will be. We learned that too. So it was an eclectic amalgam of all these amazing kooky beliefs of fringe religions in America. And he held it together, not just only by sheer force of will, but uh, by a sort of uh, you know, sort of religious genius that made sense out of it all to his small flock that gave 20-30% of their incomes to fund this worldwide operation. Now, he died in the mid-80s, mm -hmm. uh, died in 86, I believe, and he sort of left the church to a humble servant who didn't seem very ambitious. Uh, everyone else was clawing to be his successor, and, and this uh, guy he appointed his successor was sort of uh, lackluster in a sense. That's not the right way to describe it. People who loved his successor wouldn't like lackluster. But, uh, you know, he wasn't scraping to be uh, the next apostle. Then he died shortly after, you know, uh, five, six, ten years later, whatever it was. And his son was the next successor. So Joseph oh, no. Dukat is the successor that his son, Joe Dukat Jr. The reason I'm giving you this background is because it's an amazing glimpse at what happens when you get an education. Joe Dukat Jr., rather than only ever being steeped in the religion of Armstrongism and going to that uh, Bible college's, you know, that... that sort of cults Bible college, they actually called it God's College, right? As if you'd find God's gum under the chair. Um, 
he Joe Dukacs Jr. went to Azusa Pacific University here in Los Angeles area, as did a couple of his uh, buddies who were of the same generation in the church, and they got a traditional evangelical theological training. And they started looking at the doctrines of Armstrongism, and they said, well, at least compared to, to, to traditional evangelical Christianity, this stuff's wackaloo. This is just completely bonkers, bonkers, bonkers. And they started slowly making changes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, first they started saying, well, you could go to the doctors, and it's not necessarily bad if you vote in elections, and you can celebrate your birthday, and Hell, maybe even Christmas. I'm sure they didn't use the word hell. Uh, you don't have to necessarily keep the Sabbath, et cetera, et cetera. And each time they made a doctrinal change that was further from the wackaloo Armstrongism, more people left the church because it <laughs> seemed to match Armstrong's prophecies about how there would be wolves in sheep's clothing that try to um, take people away. So I think the Philadelphia Church of God was founded by one of uh, Armstrong's true believers, uh, actually uh, earlier in this process, and and stayed true to the Wackaloo beliefs. Uh, The problem is, uh, all of the churches now really have lost the support of having just one dynamic, uh, uh, charismatic leader. And you get that, you look at the history of religions, that's that's the problem with a lot of these. There's always the... uh, question of who the successor in these cults will be, and you had that same sort of consternation about Joseph Smith and then Brigham Young, or, uh, you know, so, so many of these uh, traditions. Well, you even get it in with Jesus and the Apostle Paul, so there you go. We had a, a similar, that's, a, that's an incredible story, in fact, <laughs> the Philadelphia church here, it looks like a compound, the it, gate at the front door, it's okay. a huge property. Yeah, but like an amazingly well-funded compound, though. Yeah, exactly. But we have a a local story kind of like that in Tulsa. It's Oral Roberts, right, Damien? Yep. That's yep. Yeah. He, praying he started, Yeah. Yeah. Oral Oral Roberts is the other. Uh, well, they're less wackaloo than what we got here in Edmond. Right, they are. But he there was a story on a This American Life detailing right. how you know he had a person that was a great preacher and a great singer and everyone loved this guy and he started his own church and it was popular as hell. It was great. And then he came up with this idea that hell was not real because why would ever loving God have hell? Right. You're talking about the emergent church movement, which is apostasy in evangelical Christianity. And I, I'm blanking on the guy's name that you're describing right now, but I have a couple of his books and he's actually a good sort of, a uh, schmaltzy secular humanist when it gets down to it, and he's even <laughs> said in a couple interviews I've I've seen uh, that he doesn't even know if he believes in God, and he just wants to be completely honest about it, and he struggles with that all the time. Well, more power to him, but at that point, why not do the ethical thing and talk to your flock, um, uh, you know, rather than keeping them there, you know, yeah. uh, you j- join the local, a- you know, skeptics in the pub or the atheist meetup. I, yeah. I don't know. What am I saying? <laughs> well, if you join the, uh, 
the Tulsa group there, he'd automatically become their leader, right? He's so charismatic. He'd be, he'd be, he'd be a huge celebrity there. You mentioned Oral Roberts. I love, first of all, I love the names of some of these religious, these <laughs> evangelical leaders. Oral Roberts, or there was, uh, um, you know, Billy Sunday in, in the early part of the 20th century. They just have, like, the best names, right? right? Swaggert. He had a swagger. <laughs> yeah, right. Love this stuff. Um, and I think, you'll just have to Google this, but I think that Oral Roberts' son came out as gay, and that was like a really big damn deal in that church, you can imagine. Um, right. the, uh, you were sort of contrasting Oral Roberts with Armstrong's outfit, or I guess Philadelphia uh, Church of God there in, in your area. Um, arguably, uh, Oral Roberts is more politically uh, harmful than these... These cults that sort of come out of the world, they say, you know, right. they disengage oh, yeah. with the world. Well, Oral Roberts and those sort of fundamentalists, not even evangelical, but fundamentalist uh, uh, religious traditions um, are hostile to civil society and uh, don't share my American values. Even if I disagree with a member of the Worldwide Church of God, I wouldn't mind having one of them as a neighbor, right? But if you're a fundamentalist... Okay. Uh, uh, a, a real fundamentalist who believes um, that you've been chosen and everybody else is going to hell. Um, my gosh, uh, you know th- that's that's a reason to raise a brow. I grew up like that. It's not that bad. <laughs> uh, what is that? Most most people don't actually buy it. You just go through the motions. That's that's the argument these days. I don't know. I sh- I sure believed it back in the day. Yeah, I really I really bought it, but. Um... But then I, I was, really. I was I mean, allowed I to take of. my way out of it a little. I mean, I never, <laughs> I never bought the anti-science parts of it. That part never, never stuck for me. So it was like hmm. evangelical fundamentalism, but without the the parts with all the, you know, turtles all the way down and flat Earth. Oh, right, right, right. Not the creationism anti-science stuff necessarily. No, that stuff I, I, I didn't ever understand how people made that work, but. Right. Uh, so, so actually, I needed I needed philosophical um, people to help me out of religion because the scientific skepticism wouldn't have done it for me. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think that's a, actually a really good point, um, and that's an important distinction. So, uh, Diderot has this great line: "Nothing like a Jesuit education to make you an atheist." Right. <laughs> well, if you get a good liberal arts education, even if you're at a Christian school you're going to be equipped with the schools of sort of philosophical skepticism. You'll learn how to inquire. You'll learn how to evaluate claims. I don't mean scientific claims. I mean just, you know, like in rhetoric, you learn, you have a bullshit detector, and you learn uh, how to detect a tall tale, right? Mm-hmm. You learn biblical criticism and, and literary criticism and, and other methods of inquiry that help you not uh, buy nonsense. Um, so uh, the philosophical inquiry, uh, I think it benefits everybody. It's important to do what you did just now, though, which is draw a distinction between that and this limited work of scientific skepticism, which is sort of yeoman's work. It's, it's uh, to, you know, to play with Milton a little, it's the fit though few, a small number of people who say, I'm going to do this thankless job of poking around uh, these paranormal crimes and taking them seriously investigate you know which yeah. sort of brings us to our next question that I was hoping to ask is it's the demarcation problem between skepticism 
ecumenism and atheism, which, I mean, I, I'm probably leaving out some important isms there, but those are my three, like, primary identities. Mm-hmm. I'd just like to hear your thoughts on, on how those, those three uh, ideas relate as, to each other as ideas, and then also mm-hmm. how do they relate to each other as movements? Well, that's... Uh... That's a whopper of a question, but it's it's meaty and it's the sort of stuff you know we like staying up talking about. You know, you go to a skeptics in the pub gathering; everyone has an opinion on this sort of stuff. Um, you know, skeptics are the kind of people who get together and want to have a few beers and talk philosophy and science, and and so this conversation comes up. You mm-hmm. used a phrase called demarcation, the demarcation problem in philosophy of science. That is. A, a, the issue of distinguishing between what's science and what's not science, right? right. Mm-hmm. But you're sort of using it in this other context, which I think is also useful, uh, where you say, what's the, what's the big whoop? What, what's the difference between skepticism, humanism, and atheism? And you self-designated really as all three of those. You said maybe something like, they're all three identities or something like that. Sure. Well, ditto me. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm a lot of other things besides. So if you're talking about those three uh, um, identities, well, skepticism is, as we're talking about it right now, not the same thing as just doubting. Because in common parlance, you know, to be skeptical is just to doubt a claim, right? And you could be skeptical of anything. You could be skeptical of global warming. You could be skeptical of... You know, your wife cheating uh, or being faithful on you or cheating on you. I don't know if you're really confused. Um, uh, But as I'm using it, skepticism is a limited sort of methodological, uh, it's a method of inquiry steeped in uh, methodological naturalism, not philosophical naturalism. That's a big, important distinction between those two things when you're talking say about creation, um, you can believe in God and still not be a creationist because you apply the method of naturalism, methodological naturalism, without the philosophical naturalism, which I think has some atheistic conclusions. That distinction, that same sort of distinction is important when you think about skepticism. Skepticism has a limited purview, as I'm defining it right now, mm-hmm. and concentrates uh, basically on testable claims. It doesn't mean that religion is off-limits. It means that untestable faith claims are off-limits. Early in our conversation, we talked about Randy uh, going after P- Peter Popoff. Those are religious claims. God can heal you through me. You, you just put some money in the bucket and, and you'll get a healing. Well, that's a religious claim, even though it's uh, eminently testable, and indeed Randy tested it. He did one of the great episodes in the history of scientific skepticism by uh, exposing Popoff chicanery. That's skepticism. Now, it just so happens that the people who are turned on by that project, most recently, the past 35, 38 years, have coalesced around uh, organizations and become a movement. So in the mid-70s, PSYCOP was founded with Carl Sagan and Randy and Paul Kurtz and others. Um, the James Randy Educational Foundation was founded as a little science education nonprofit that focuses on pseudoscience and the paranormal. Michael Shermer's Skeptic Society is also in that tradition, and they do amazing work, and all with this uh, focus on testable claims. Mm-hmm. It just so happens that just about everybody involved in all of this is also 
a skeptic of religion or an atheist or something along those lines. But uh, it's not the same thing, and here's the big uh, distinction. Atheism is what you believe about one supernatural claim. And there's also a lot of motivation about it because people feel burned by religion, so they want to go out and do something about their atheism. A, a lot of atheists, anyway. The people we'd call atheist activists are the people who, you know, uh, rather than just sleeping on Sunday morning, they, you know, they go out and they hang out with other atheists somewhere. And, and okay. maybe they get involved in church-state separation, and maybe they fight the, the religionists and all of that stuff. So there's an activist component for a lot of folks, atheism. Uh, simply defined, though, atheism is merely lacking belief in God. And so there's a lot of confusion, even conflation, when you have some folks say, well, atheism means science and values or something like oh, that. Oh, right? you're quoting PZ. Uh, <laughs> or, or, or someone, yeah, it could be PZ. I'm, I'm, um, I'm not going to say I who you're quoting. I think PZ said uh, stuff along those lines, but a lot of people have. And they, yeah, make they, a they make a lot of uh, out of their atheism. I like my atheism yeah. sort of simple. You know, uh, ask me what I believe about God, and I'll tell you I'm an atheist. I'm without belief in God. Atheism. I'm without theism. If you ask me what I do believe, I prefer to uh, connect to the centuries, uh, millennial uh, old tradition called humanism. Mm -hmm. Humanism is what I do believe. Atheism is what I lack belief in. Atheism describes what I lack belief in. Mm -hmm. So humanism uh, uh, it can be a motivating factor in one's atheism, because you want to spread atheism to help people. It could be a motivating factor in one's skepticism. You want to apply uh, skeptical inquiry to paranormal claims, because when people believe in psychics and, and uh, dowsing and whatever, they, they can be hurt. So humanism can fuel those other enterprises, but it, it is not identical to those other projects. Humanism is simply defined a secular, ethical approach to how we fare in the world, how we get along uh, with other people. It's human-centered. Uh, that's why you have some ethicists like Peter Singer, one of my favorites, refusing to call himself a humanist because he thinks it's too speciesist, right? Mm -hmm. And it leaves out uh, non-human persons who still merit our uh, regard, our ethical mm -hmm. regard. Uh, that's how I would draw those distinctions if I were just chewing the fat at a, at a pub gathering. And I think those distinctions need to be drawn. When we conflate them, then... Everyone, you know, rolls up their sleeves and they want to get engaged in fisticuffs because someone else is doing their atheism a different way than they want to do it, or their humanism is conflated with some, some skepticism. And then it gets really complicated when a skeptic might not actually be a humanist, you know, or uh, an atheist might believe in psychics, you know, and so I think these... Uh, important distinctions need to remain, and I'm all for uh, keeping those those fences up. There are doors in the fences. You can pass through them <laughs> any one of those camps you want, but there's still a distinction between those three domains. Stephen Novella uh, recently touched on what you just said earlier about how you can apply skepticism to certain religious claims – but when it comes to religion, that's just something that they can't touch. 
Um, but you see a well, lot of like pushback on it. Of religion. Like faith claims, yeah, yeah, right. Like belief in God. You can't test that. You, how, how do you falsify that? I, I, th- I, think, uh, I think you can apply small s skepticism. Uh, you know, if someone makes a rational argument for God, you can argue against it. I've done dozens of these God debates on college campuses. And I, I did that as what I would call a religious skeptic, right? I'm applying critical thinking and logic and rationality and all of that to those supernatural claims. But there are formulations of God belief that science cannot get at. And if someone says, I believe because I believe, right, then you need other ways to examine that belief, and then you're not actually arguing with it, you're just sort of studying it like an anthropologist would, right? Right, You're looking at the psychology of belief, Um, are there existential reasons that make someone uh, believe in in an all-knowing father figure somewhere who's looking out for them, etc., etc. That may lead to you you to doubt God belief, um, or at least lack uh, a positive belief that God exists. But that's different than uh, someone saying, last night an alien visited me, and here's the mark on my arm of an implant, and I want that looked at, and uh, or here's a video recording of an apparition, or an audio recording of white nose, uh, noise of a ghost, um, or uh, photographic evidence of uh, a lake monster, or... Um, definitive proof that my dowsing rod can detect bombs at that bomb checkpoint. Those are the those are the sorts of claims that science can actually uh, get at, and scientific skeptics can, in the spirit of science, examine in a way that it's not just sitting back in an armchair poking holes in an argument. Yeah, I think that the the practice of scientific skepticism, if you're not already um, an unbeliever in in religion. Just the practice of, of learning how to ask the right questions and how to ask, and try try to ask for evidence, it's going to get you to a point where, uh, in your faith journey, you're like, wait a minute, I, I I don't why am I not asking the questions I usually ask? And then you're at that point, I think you're faced with a choice between fideism and non-theism, because mm. you're either going to go full on faith or or you're going to start asking hard questions. And if you're you come from the sort of tradition that I came from, where you're expected to say that there is strong evidence that the Bible is like a totally true thing that was historic, it's like a history, then you're going to start asking the kinds of questions that lead you down a path to apostasy. And and that's why you get traditions in scholarship like the historical critical method and and biblical criticism where you almost apply the spirit of science into looking at how those texts came to be and, and are they authentic and is it the word of God or can we actually track how it evolved over time with this uh, influence and that author's, uh, uh, you know, playing with the text then and all of that stuff, that leads to a, a certain emphatic sort of skepticism. It's different than scientific skepticism, though, which is a practice. It's- so why do you think people chafe against this idea of limiting skepticism to specific claims? I think because they... Uh, because they haven't learned, you know, the first rule of philosophy 101, which is to define your terms, right? Oh, no okay. one, mm-hmm. anywhere, ever, says you're not allowed to be skeptical that God exists. No one anywhere, well, theologians, I guess, might say that, or, you know, a, a fundy preacher on a Sunday morning might. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But no scientific skeptic says you're not allowed to be skeptical of those sorts of faith claims. Fine, lack belief in those all you want. But 
over here, let's define scientific skepticism to mean this project, this limited uh, project that has a, a very defined scope. And then other people hear that and they say, and you, you could sort of understand the misunderstanding, they say, how dare you only care about things that go bump in the night because there's oh. genocide or there's misogyny or there's homophobia or there's socioeconomic inequality or whatever it is and all you're doing is that trivial stuff over there and there's a sort of um, bossiness that comes with people's deeply held beliefs where they want other people to adopt them. Go figure. I mean, we're human beings. Yeah. We like to sort of spread our values around. That sounds a little kinky, but you get what I mean. Uh, <laughs> where what I think is very important my gosh, you should think it's really important too. And um, not everyone shares those values, and that just uh, perplexes some folks. So uh, you have people who happen to be scientific skeptics, but also happen to be other things. And they say, I think wrongly, I'm a scientific skeptic. I apply critical thinking and a method of inquiry to these paranormal claims. Therefore, I don't believe in them because I look at the evidence, don't find it. I find uh, reasons to doubt, reasons to be skeptical. I apply that same process over here in the political domain, say. And it leads me conclusively to... Uh, Libertarianism. Yeah, uh, uh, well, a libertarian, right. Maybe that Hayek is right about the commanding hype of the economy. Or <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard arguments exactly the opposite, that I'm such a good skeptic that I've applied my skepticism, and I therefore believe that Keynes was right about, uh, about the economy. And, uh, there, or, or maybe Marx, maybe I'm a social democrat, maybe a democratic yeah. socialist, maybe a Marxist, whatever it is. In any of those sort of political or economic ideologies, if I could call them ideologies, you have people who have long arguments for why they're right, and they say, I'm right because I applied skepticism to the prevailing beliefs, and therefore I ended up here. Uh, but those are, those are, that's a different sort of argumentation than the scientific inquiry about test, limited scope of testable claims like I can move an object with my mind. Well, really, let's uh, set up a little control here. Let's set up a test. Um, the James Randi Educational Foundation has a million dollars will pop on the table if you can prove under mutually agreed upon uh, test conditions uh, that you can do it. And if you do it, by the way, we all win Nobel Prizes and you're a million dollars richer. So that's a different sort of claim than I've thought about it long and hard and therefore I'm a Marxist or therefore I'm a libertarian. Right. Can you guys hear the uh, uh, fire truck passing by? I did, uh, yeah. I'm glad to hear it was the fire though. truck. I thought it might be something you know, more localized. Right. Yeah. Right. It's like something a refrigerator. Glad to hear something that's just going to keep going. Did you hear someone playing the trumpet in my room? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I did not hear that. Uh, no, I, I, I completely agree on this. Um, the idea that uh, people claim that they've applied skepticism to problems of ethics and politics, and they've come to these firm answers, and then they, they come back to skepticism or, or even atheism or humanism, and they say, look, we've got to adopt these, these sets of ideas, and. It could be Ayn Rand, it could be Karl Marx, it could be a lot of different things, but they, they come back and they say, you guys, we've got to all get on board with this one moral philosopher or this uh, political ideology. I'm just right, like, right. 
Wow, that's and, not and that just, you know, just because they have a firmly held belief doesn't mean that they're wrong, by the way. I just, I'm skeptical that they're right for the reasons they think they're right. You know, mm-hmm. we, we feel very strongly about our beliefs and we're persuaded. Uh, we tend to surround ourselves with other people who believe just like us. The libertarians all hang together at the amazing meeting, right? The Marxists mm-hmm. hang together. Uh, there aren't many Marxists. Um, and the only time they don't all hang together is when they're drinking at the at the bar that night and everyone's fighting. So maybe that's not much our problem these days. Uh, years ago, though, there were massive fights in organized humanism where mm-hmm. uh, there were people who believed in Western democracy and capitalism, and then there were out and out bona fide communists, American communists, who were part of the humanist movement, and it was, uh, you know, decades of bloody battles in the American Humanist Association and after uh, Humanist Manifesto One through Humanist Manifesto Two, and Paul Kurtz was swept up in all of that, and he was sort of a diehard capitalist and very entrepreneurial and a critic of uh, communism as was his uh, mentor, uh, Sidney Hook. And so, um, yes, strategically, some people said, let's just leave the damn politics and religion out of it and focus on our stuff here, these testable paranormal and pseudoscientific claims. But I want to caution folks into this conversation from thinking that that's the only reason there's the limited scope. It's not just that strategic or prudent argument to avoid those bloody political and religious battles. What's the, um, what would you say are the main reasons for limiting the scope to, to scientific skepticism as you've described it? Well, I don't think people should limit their scope and what they're skeptical of to just the things scientific skeptics are skeptical of when they're being scientifically skeptical. Okay, ah. that wordy sentence, but uh, <laughs> let me unpack it. But if you're doing scientific skepticism... Um, there's a tradition. There's a sort of a there's a uh, academic literature, and it's a discipline. You don't you don't go to anthropologists and insist that they be sociologists, right? No. Um, you don't go to biologists and tell them they're doing it all wrong. Now you might you might just upset the apple cart in a good way, and there'd be a scientific revolution, and you'd change everything, and you'd get the Nobel Prize. But the point is, there's a really an academic tradition. Uh, a scholarly tradition is more accurate of scientific skepticism, and they look at these testable pseudoscientific and paranormal claims. No skeptic I know, in fact, no, I'll, I'll bet you're around to drinks that you won't find any skeptic who tells you you, sh- you oughtn't be skeptical of whatever political ideology you're skeptical of or whatever religious uh, view, God or whatever. Um, it, because it's a sort of apples and oranges thing. It it would be like the model train hobbyist going to a uh, comic collector and saying, I'm really into model trains, therefore you should not be in the comic books, right? Uh, (laughs) You do your thing over there. My thing over here has its uh, purview. Now, there are a lot of skeptics who are a different kind of skeptical of things like God or um, the other guy's political ideology or whatever. Uh, my caution is just not to conflate that, that sense of skepticism with the kind of skepticism I'm talking about when I mention scientific skepticism. 
which is a method of inquiry of testable claim. I think you're right about that whole history thing. And it's not that sometimes it's good to have a fresh perspective, like uh, say Jared Diamond, you know, as a ornithologist, he did this massive encyclopedia that was treading upon anthropologists, you know, their sphere of work. But, but he understood their history. So he's not just walking in and do in, and retreading what they've already done and what they've already figured out what was wrong. You know, he right. understood the history and was able to incorporate that along with his, uh, along with his fresh perspective. Right, and I should also say that I'm not as anti-multidisciplinary as I may have just sounded, right? Like, I, I right. would never want to tell a sociologist she can't be interested in anthropology, right? Um, but... Uh, it, to use a different metaphor, I think it would be unseemly, it'd be inappropriate to join, say, PETA, you know, the, the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. You, they always get lumps for their, their uh, you know, some of their extreme campaigns and stunts and all of that stuff. But let's say I'm really into them. For me to join them and say, I've had a, uh, you know, I've had a, an epiphany. What you guys should really care about is gay rights, because I happen to be a gay man and I believe in equality and all that stuff. And so, why aren't you focusing on gay rights? Well, it would be silly for me to go to PETA and try to get my gay rights stuff done, right? Instead, right. I go to a national gay rights organization, right? Human Rights Campaign or Glisten or Glad or one of those. Um, and and the, the provocatively named Glisten. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you should see her galas. Yeah, so um, so uh, what I'm getting at is, you know, the beauty of all of this is that people can be many things at once. I can advance a secular ethical approach to life. You know, I could push my humanism. And I'm not going to be kicked out of the skeptics club. I could be a gay rights activist, and the atheists aren't going to say, you're not doing atheism enough, um, or uh, at least I hope they're not going to. Um, but, but, you know, it's, you don't bring your model trains to the comic book convention. <laughs> and so uh, we can be interested in many things at once. We can, you know, have multiple selves, right? And... Uh, we don't have to, like, do it all at once. And for God's sake, we shouldn't just uh, throw our hands up in the air in exasperation because everyone's not in lockstep with what we happen to be into at any given moment. So my last question is, uh, how is feminism like model trains? Uh, well, have you seen some of those conductors? Yeah. <laughs> no, but I, 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 I have... Uh, when you said you don't bring your model trains to a comic book convention, it just yeah. felt, um, I don't know. <laughs> can you well, tweet that? It's just, it's obscure, but it's spot on. Yeah. <laughs> you, you actually, uh, you haven't had fun till you've go- gone to some of these odd duck um, hobby cons, right? And I, it, you know, I'm actually really into comic books. I have thousands of comic books. Um, my ex-boyfriend of uh, many years, he he and his uh, partner were just out here visiting Thomas and me uh, for a couple weeks a few months ago. Um, his dad is one of these men. You know, I hope they never listen to this, but uh, one of these men, <laughs> one of these men who you know created their whole downstairs basement as a miniature um, town. 
you know, model trains and all of that oh stuff. Oh, my. The reason I mentioned that is uh, it would be silly of me to sort of chide him for having that passion, that interest, even if it's not my interest, and instead mm-hmm. try to get him to care about what I care about. On the other hand, there's a steady march of social progress, right? And uh, if someone f- believes stuff that I think is really backward or wrong or uh, outside the norm, uh, sure, I might speak up. But um, that's not the same thing as going to uh, an animal rights activist and insist that they be a gay rights activist. <laughs> well, I think we should end on that. What do you think, Damien? Yeah, well, yeah, I'm afraid we do have to end at some point. That's, a, that's, a, that's as good a well, point as any. Conversation. Um, you guys know that I have to run to a lecture, but this uh, this was a fun back and forth. And uh, you know, next time we have a conversation, I'll be sure to tell you about all the amazing things the James Randi Educational Foundation is up to these days with our what our digital outreach, the Million Dollar Challenge stuff, our expansion of that. Um, just you know, a lot of fun stuff happening. And really, the big news is that the amazing meeting is coming up in July, uh, and in just a couple weeks, uh, registration will be opening at amazingmeeting.com. So guys, it's been a fun back and forth. I really appreciate the invitation to have a conversation with you. We really appreciate you coming. We'll we'll see you at Tam. Okay, see you guys. See ya. The Oklahoma Atheists Godcast is produced by the Oklahoma Atheists. The mission of the Oklahoma Atheists is to develop a community of individuals and families who value and promote critical thinking free thought, reason, and a scientific worldview, and who seek to have a positive effect on the community at large through fellowship, rational discussion, community service, and education. For more information, please visit our website at www.oklahomaatheist.com. The music for today's show is from the song God is Dead by Jaron Lake and is reproduced here under a Creative Commons license. Jared's music in the Oklahoma Atheist Godcast are hosted courtesy of the Internet Archives Community Audio Collection, available at www.archive.org. To join discussion about the ideas presented in today's show, please visit our blog at blog.oklahomaatheist.com.